Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. This is the difference between courage and cowardice. Courage is feeling the fear and making yourself feel it more and doing the action anyway. Cowardice is having a vague sense that there could be fear there and running in the other direction while you pat yourself on the back and tell yourself that you're trying really hard. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. Today, we're wrapping up a four-part series on how to relate to problem-solving productively on a spiritual level with a real-life case study. Are you being courageous or cowardly? If you're being cowardly, is that fear holding you back? Are you thinking about your feelings or experiencing them? Is there a lack of stillness in your life? These questions and more will be the things we'll be discussing today. This episode is from a recent weekly member webcast in which we regularly explore topics and questions like these. For more information about the many benefits of Clear and Open membership and how to get more engaged in everything you do, please go to clearandopen.com. Also, I'm very excited to announce the launch of my new course, Accountability, Metrics, Money, and Shame. Get better results by living in reality. Employee disengagement is a worldwide epidemic, estimated to cost nearly a half trillion with a T dollars a year. Lack of accountability and metrics are two of the biggest reasons why you cannot have engagement without them. In this course, we address money in a way likely that you've never thought of before. Money is a metric we all live within and with, and the reality we deal with every day. Explorations into your relationship with money reveal powerful insights about how your relationship to the boundaries of reality, accountability, and shame may be holding you back. For managers, if you can't feel the difference between remorse and shame, you can't manage to engage. When an employee does something bad, research shows that remorse creates change, whereas shame guarantees it happens again. What if you're unwittingly shaming your people, or on the other side, not ensuring they feel remorse when they mess up? How do you create metrics that show your people how they're doing and inspire them to excellence? How do you know you're tracking the right metrics so you know you're on track? This course answers all of these questions and more. It's more than just education and training. It's a transformational journey that improves every area of your life. When you complete the course, you'll have a vivid, actionable, and moving vision, along with a dashboard to hold yourself and others, if applicable, accountable to achieving it. And you'll know how to own a task, project, or a job like a champion. Everything kicks off on April 5th and continues for a total of 11 weeks. Sign up at clearandopen.com slash A-M-M-S, standing for accountability, money, metrics, and shame. Okay, thanks so much for listening. Now let's dive into our episode. A couple days ago, I was thinking, what are we going to do? How what are we going to talk about at the in the last meeting of this course? And then as often happens, life gave me the perfect thing. So a, a client of mine wrote this. I want you to listen really carefully. See if you can hear what's being said. I'm finding that I don't question myself enough and push hard enough to make the actual change that I want. What's holding me back? 
Fear is the only thing that I can answer to myself. I'm becoming more and more aware of my downfalls. Why am I not acting on them? Isn't that where the opportunity lies? Our mind wants to be in charge, and we need to be in charge of our mind, focusing on the present instead of the past or future, which seems easier said than done. Why do I fight this? Honestly, I think it's the fear of the unknown again. I feel that I've made some progress, but need to push myself much more. This was in a response to rate your level of engagement on scale of one to 10 and tell me what you feel about that. He gave himself a three. And that's what he said. Do you hear anything in what he wrote that raises an eyebrow? The very first thing that I'm finding that. Uh Uh-huh. What about that? It's kind of like the... It's the shadow talking because it's not your full being sort of talking. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, that, that's not the thing I wanted to focus on, but you're absolutely right. The, uh, anytime someone says, I'm finding that I, it puts them out of the driver's seat. It makes them sound like it's happening to them. It's a kind of victimhood. This is happening to me. I'm finding that. It's like suddenly I found myself in Oz and... Like you got picked up by a tornado and deposited over. Oh, really? What happened? It's a, there's a disowning of the choices involved, right? Because he's not seeing the choices. Very good, Tyler. I'd say that just based on the way he's worded it, he sees that there's a problem, but he goes into a shame mode, self-shaming mode. What, like what, not, what makes you not, think the shame? Well, the, the way he says it is almost like... Um, I see this problem, but I'm not good enough to solve it or deal with it. So then there's the shame element there, I guess. Well, I'd say that's uh, it's a good call and certainly worthy of talking about. I'd say that's implicit here. You can intuit it, but it's not explicit. You know, I'm not what's holding me back. Um, you know, how come this is so hard for me? There's a kind of struggle that has some shame vibes in it but it's not explicit. There's something that said, there's two lines in here that explicitly says something that is exactly what the problem problem is. Could you read it again? Yep. I'll read it a little quicker this time. I'm finding that I don't question myself enough and and push hard enough to make the actual change that I want. What's holding me back? Fear is the only thing that I can answer to myself. I'm becoming more and more aware of my downfalls. Why am I not acting on them? Isn't that where the opportunity lies? Our mind wants to be in charge and we need to be in charge of our mind. Focusing on the present instead of the past or the future, which seems easier than easier said than done. Why do I fight this? Honestly, I think it's the fear of the unknown again. I feel that I've made some progress, but I need to push myself much more. Is he keep going in a loop of he needs more information and he's like, it seems like, I need to know why before I can make the change. And Good. that may or may not be true. Like maybe he just needs to change and maybe he never gets to know why. Also exactly. Yes, that's true. That's not the thing I'm trying to point to, but that's another great observation, just like Tyler's. Yes. Good call. There's an obsession about the why here that is getting in the way of acting. Knowing the why is sometimes interesting and can support you to act, but sometimes you just got to act anyway. What's stopping him from acting? 
He oh, says yeah. fear twice. So he's using that as an excuse to not act or, or look f- further. Yes. Now I'm going to read the two sentences where he talks about fear. You're on it, Tyler. I'm going to read those two sentences and see what you notice about that. He writes, fear is the only thing that I can answer to myself. What's holding me back? Fear is the only thing I can answer to myself. And then he says, honestly, I, why do I fight this? Honestly, I think it's the fear of the unknown again. What is he saying about his relationship to the fear? He's backing away from it. How do you know? Because he realizes that that's the issue, but yet he's not choosing to step towards it. It's good. Step away from it. Now we're almost there. Great job, everyone. Is he experiencing the fear or does he have a concept about the fear? It's a a nebulous. It's like a, it's an intangible thing that is, that he's talking about. It's not defined either. Like fear is that you're afraid of something, right? So there's yeah. not a definition of what it is that he's actually afraid of. Though. Yeah, exactly. Let me read it again. Uh, what's holding me back? Fear is the only thing that I can answer to myself. What did he not say? What's holding me back? Sometimes I feel abject terror when I try to do this new behavior. That would be an experience. Fear is the only thing that I can answer to myself. It's completely mental. It's stock language in a way. It is. He's like, he's looking at it at his periphery and he knows it's there, but he is not interested at all to actually, what the hell are you afraid of? Exactly. He's talking about it rather than actually steering himself into it. And then the, the second thing he says, why do I fight this? Honestly, I think, I think you think if you were experiencing the fear, you wouldn't be thinking it's fear that's in the way. You see? Why do I fight this? Honestly, honestly is a clue too. People generally only say honestly when they're about to tell some kind of lie. <laughs> <laughs> Just like when people say, believe me, <clears throat> don't believe whatever they're going to say. Why do I fight this? Honestly, I think it's the fear of the unknown again, which would be okay if that was the beginning of a journey to steer himself into the fear. If he said, honestly, I think it's the fear of the unknown again, but I haven't actually experienced that. What's an action I can take that will help me push myself into that fear. You see, this is, you see how subtle it is. This is cowardice. You guys, this is the difference between courage and cowardice. Courage is feeling the fear and making yourself feel it more and doing the action anyway. Cowardice is having a vague sense that there could be fear there and running in the other direction while you pat yourself on the back and tell yourself that you're trying really hard. I'd like to reinforce that with my own experience. And it started before the course, but it was reinforced by something exchange that you had with, with, with someone on the course a couple of weeks ago. I've, I've actually I've, I've discovered that I can feel a discomfort and let it kind of wash over me and abide it. Yes. And I, I don't, I don't have to succumb to it. I don't. And, and once I get through it, I can do that thing. Yes, exactly. That's the realm of beyond good and bad, right? If you do something that scares you or is uncomfortable or is difficult and your lens is, I want to feel good all of the time you'll push it away. But if you 
do something difficult and challenging and uncomfortable, and your lens is, I want to abide with what's real, then you'll let that wash over and through you and go, wow, that's really uncomfortable. Hmm. Interesting. I'm feeling really uncomfortable right now. And there's no secondary, how do I make this go away? How do I make myself feel better? What if I might feel like this forever? Where's the nearest something with sugar in it that I could stuff it down? If there's none of that, because it's like, oh, this is uncomfortable. How interesting. Let's see how long it lasts. And then you see it washes through. You have the challenging conversation. You look at your bank balance. You do whatever it is you've been avoiding and you realize it's not the end of the world like your mind told you it was a hundred thousand times and you just do it. And that quiet acceptance of what is, that's courage. And that's where change happens. All of the scrambling about, oh, I'm pushing myself, I'm trying hard. That's all on the way to courage. Necessary, important, But in the end, the courageous moment is so still and quiet. It's just, I'm going to do this now. doesn't matter how afraid I am. doesn't matter how uncomfortable it is. It's interesting because the emotion of like feeling like you're working really hard on something when you're actually running away from it, (laughs) it's so tricky because it feeds that instant gratification piece of actually solving the problem too, right? Yep. And you just gave me something, Thomas. Thank you. Because the shift I was talking about that is, I hope sticks, I don't know, stuck for about 10 days now. What finally precipitated it in me was a stillness. It was a willingness to be still with it because I was working really hard. And and like you said, it's tricky. Sometimes what's required is loud and multiple moving parts and lots of work. And other times it's just about being still. And sometimes it's both. It depends on the moment. And for me, it was a kind of stillness where I I let myself get stiller than I've ever been. And I, I saw something about the nature of life. And from that perspective, I saw who I've been up until that moment. And I haven't returned to being that person since then. So in that case, I needed to try softer. Sometimes you got to try harder. Sometimes you got to try softer. And you, you, you won't know until it happens. But if you can identify a discomfort that you're avoiding, oh boy, is that a good clue. And one of the things that helped precipitate this uh, event that, I, um, that happened was I realized that I was in a loop of reading the news and getting upset and rallying, railing against it. So I went on a news fast. I went on a news and social media fast for and about a week later, this stillness happened. So there was a way of being riled up about the, the nature of the world was a lack of stillness and had me in a suffering loop because as you all know, I have a part who likes to pretend he's general manager of the universe and in, until there's peace on earth and blah, 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 like he can't rest. And all of that was a strategy to not have to be still in a way that would invite this change in. I tend to be, I process information emotionally first and then later. Like I'll all think. other human beings. Well, some people like my wife will think first and then feel later. They appear to. 
<laughs> what they're really doing is feeling, then repressing the feeling, then thinking, and then the feeling comes back later. Yeah, it could be. So it's just been interesting because I've been really testing myself in that area and trying to operate, I guess the best way of saying it is operating out of a place of stillness and not allowing a circumstance, external circumstance to elicit an emotional response from me. The tricky thing there is, I think, and whether this is just a lie that I believed or whether it's true, I'm not really sure, but I think the tricky thing there is the belief that if I operate that way all the time, I'll lose emotion entirely and that's a bad thing or I might lose desire and that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an interesting like dance of, of stillness and emotion, I guess. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a, thanks for sharing that Thomas. That's a tricky one. Well, I mean, there's, there's two things I'd say about that. One is be careful not to collapse the expression of emotion and the feeling of the emotion. Very common mistake that, that people make. It causes a lot of problems in the world. The people see an emotion that when expressed is negative, then they negativize the emotion, thinking that the emotion causes the neg- negative expression. Classic example is anger and violence. People see, well, when there's anger around, that causes violence. So it seems. So therefore, violence is bad. Therefore, anger must be bad too. So if I'm feeling angry, I got to stuff that as quickly as possible so that I don't get violent. However, if you dig a little deeper, what you find is that anger doesn't cause violence. The repression of anger causes violence. It's like when you put your thumb over a garden hose. You can stop it for a little bit, and then it will spray. People who act out in violent ways have been repressing anger for a while, and then some straw breaks the camel's back and it squirts out. So the trick is let yourself feel everything and not have to act on it. That's the still place. The still place is still enough to handle anything, to feel anything and not move a muscle. You see? But don't think that still is feeling nothing. That's a very popular, complete distortion of Zen. People, when people say uh, the Zen has become an adjective for like this, like stoic, completely calm kind of way of being, that's not Zen. It can show up that way sometimes, but uh, that that mode is not about having no emotion. It's about being able to let whatever it is washed entirely through you so that if you react passionately, it's your choice to do so. So happens many of the Zen masters don't usually choose to behave really passionately. That doesn't mean they don't experience really strong emotions. You see, but we project onto them. Oh, well, they're so calm. You know, they must be really calm on the inside. They must have really clear head all the time. No. Ask one. They've got just as much mental chaos as anyone else. They just don't fall prey to it like most people do. But some of them will lie and tell you that their mind is completely calm all the time so that they can sell you what they have. Because actually, the, the real enlightenment's not that uh, blissful a proposal. If you really knew what 
that kind of uh, actualization was like uh, it wouldn't sell so well. That place beyond good and bad takes getting used to because we're conditioned to seek that the sugary high. And if you ever like quit sugar or quit white flour for a while, you know, for a while you feel like you're starving. And, uh, you know, when you cut out those Tuesday Coca-Colas or that whatever cake you eat on Sundays or whatever, when you cut that sugar out for a while, that's like, there's, it feels like there's always something missing or when people quit smoking, you know, it feels like there's something missing. And then eventually you adjust to your new reality and all the flavors of everything you've been eating come alive in a whole new way. Wow. This sweet potato is actually quite sweet. I never noticed it before. Wow. This lemonade is actually too sweet for me. You never would have said that while you were drinking a couple of Cokes a week. And then your whole reality changes and everything comes alive. Now you're in a place that's beyond that sugary high and you're tasting into the essential goodness of something, the goodness that needs no exclamation points at the end of it to get your attention. But more so in our world today, we live in this, as I say so often, this cotton candy, instant gratification, more, 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 now, 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 sooner, sooner, sooner. How do we get more corn syrup into that product so it spikes my blood sugar even harder? And that all pours into the good content-based goodness, which then makes us eschew the badness, which creates a repression cycle where we're not in reality. Where we're not in reality, it causes all of our problems. You see the loop? So when you surrender to what is, implicit in that is you're orienting toward the beyond the good and bad. And that's... That's a lifetime. That's, that's an orientation. That's a lifetime to make truth and reality more important than your momentary sensation. That's courage. May you all find the reservoirs of courage in your hearts and express it as often as you are able. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Be sure to visit clearandopen.com for the latest tools, articles, and free resources to help you on your journey. Thanks for listening and bye for now.